Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet. But if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home internet. Cox is the real home internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com internet for details. From the era that brought you names like Chamberlain, Russell, and West. The Chamberlain, he's got it. Jerry West made it from the other side of the midcourt strike. To the glory days of Magic and Kareem. Abdul-Jabbar is on the brink of an NBA all-time record. From a time where last-second shots were expected. Here comes Kobe. From way outside. Got it! Oh, man! Gets it to LeBron. For three for the win. Yes! LeBron James! And rings were handed out like candy. Here's Jordan. It's Duncan Dynasty with your host, Garrett Bougay, and it starts right now. Welcome to a very special 50th episode of Duncan Dynasty. I'm your host, Garrett Bougay, and for this 50th episode, we have a very special guest. He is a fellow sports business classroom alum. His name is Shamir Riaz. Shamir, thanks so much for coming on. Thanks so much for having me. Now, uh, we both separately came up with uh, uh, a list of ten things that, uh, that we have observed over the course of uh, this NBA season that we are either surprised or uh, excited or intrigued by, and uh, most teams have played uh, the 20-plus games, so we are at about the, uh, the quarter season mark, so we thought it'd be fun to kind of do a little bit of a recap of, of things that we have witnessed so, uh, Shamir, why don't you get us started? What's the first thing you've got on your list? Yeah, so the first thing that really, you know, interested me throughout this year was, I think, a, a thing that interested a lot of people is how well the Clippers have played this season. I mean, when you look at their offseason, I thought what they did is, at the time, what I thought is, okay, they're adding a bunch of role players, and so let's see if Doc Rivers can figure this out. You know, they re-signed Avery Bradley they to a core that already had you know, sort of a lot of role players, nothing really that by themselves players can initiate any offense. And, you know, they had guys like Mike Scott, Luke Mbamute. And my whole take on this was I'm interested to see. I thought they'd be a fringe playoff team. I still sort of believe that. But I initially thought, okay, you know, they'll be a fringe playoff team. Let's see what Doc Rivers can get them. Toward the first 20 games quarter of the season, it, they seem like a top five. They are a top five offense in terms of offensive rating and they are middle of the pack defensively but I was really surprised to see the offensive number I mean some of the guys that are on their team just like, like in Montrose Harrell he's been playing outstanding you didn't even look at any of the numbers you can just see how great of an impact he has yeah Harrell is uh, one of the leading candidates I would say for uh, for sixth man of the year he's been uh, he's been there easily the Clippers best center 
and you know they've gotten they've gotten pretty uh, pretty good health, uh, especially from a guy like Danilo Gallinari, who is normally uh, often missing a lot of games, but he's been out there. Tobias Harris just won the Western Conference Player of the Month for the month of November, so he's been he's been terrific. So you know in that starting unit, you've got gunners like Gallinari and Harris who can who can both are they're both versatile forwards who can take advantage of mismatches and knock down the three point shot. And then off the bench, they've got last year's sixth man of the year and Lou Williams, and, and he continues to be productive on the offensive end. Yeah, I think one of the important things for this team is, like you said, health. I mean, Gallinari, for his entire career, especially the last three or four years, it's just you know, kind of the running problem with him has just been his health issues. And him, Tobias Harris, Lou Williams, they provide this great scoring punch for them. And that's one of the issues I thought they'd have is that they might not have that one guy at the end of games, but they really have, like, three or four guys who can close a game for them. I mean, Shea Gilles Alexander is just incredible. One question I had for you is, do you think this will keep up, or do you think they'll kind of level off and become a fringe playoff team? Because it's kind of what I'm expecting, just because of this generally happens with some of these teams that get off to a hot start, and when they don't have one guy who's just, you know, top 10, 15 player, it, it usually comes down back there to them. Yeah, it, it'll be interesting. Again, I, I think it will be a lot determined on health, but but the, the defense is the thing that I kind of question. The fact that they are in the middle of the pack is, is a little bit, uh, you know, surpassing what I had for expectations for their defense. Uh, you know, they, they do have guys like Avery Bradley and Patrick Beverly who are, you know, are bulldogs uh, defending backcourt players. But, but outside of those couple of guys, I wouldn't say there are too many plus defensive options on this team. So, so yeah, that'll be something that I'll be keeping an eye on is if they can stay in the middle of the pack defensively because if they can, I think despite the fact that you mentioned they don't have any superstar offensive players, they've got enough offensive talent uh, if they're healthy to uh, to stay in the top 5-10 in the league on the offensive end. Yeah, just looking at the Western Conference, I wonder if they, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know if anyone expects them to be ahead of the Warriors or some of these other contenders in the Western Conference in terms of the standings. But I wonder to see if they do make the playoffs, how, how that'll work out. Because we've seen in the past, you know, the Raptors, when they had uh, Corv, DeMar DeRozan, and uh, Kyle Lowry, how it's kind of hard for these teams to not have, like, a superior talent to work in the playoffs. But I interested to see that. Yeah, and, and Lou Williams is also known for, you know, being a guy that really struggles in the postseason. He's, he's had his struggles with, with Toronto and also uh, with Houston in the past couple of years. He's a guy that... Uh, you know, oftentimes relies on getting to the free throw line and, and some really difficult shots. And when the defense picks up, uh, it makes it pretty tough on him. So yeah, it, it'll be interesting. I certainly don't expect them to be like a, a team that, that if they make the playoffs can, can advance. I think they're, uh, they're going to get eliminated in round one if they get there. But uh, certainly Doc Rivers has done, has done a tremendous job with that team. And and it's a good segue. You you briefly mentioned Shea Gilgis Alexander. This was the number one thing on my list is how good the rookie class has been so far in this NBA season. And and I'll start with Shea. He just looks so poised out there. He he gives me some vibes of Sean Livingston, how he uses his length and gets into the mid range and and can knock down little floaters. Uh, but uh, he seems to be a guy that just is playing beyond his years. Yeah, definitely. I mean, this is something that we saw, I think, in summer league. Even when I was watching a few of the games, there just it was hard for people to dribble around. He, his his arms are just so long; it's it, it, he causes total havoc defensively. And I was actually while I was there, I like quickly 
ask Kevin Knox. I was like, you know, how hard is it to dribble on him in practice? Because they're teammates in Kentucky, and he was just like, yeah. <laughs> he was kind of like, you know, that's something you have to always be extra cautious around him. And we see his impact already just 20 games in, in the season. If he Right now, he's already shooting 34% from three. If he gets that few percentage points higher over the course of even his career, I mean, he's going to be such a great asset for this team. Yeah, and you know he was the he was the third point guard taken in this draft class behind the likes of Trey Young and Colin Sexton, and I, and I don't think it's uh, it's crazy to suggest that uh, he has been the the most impactful player out of the three thus far. Although you know both of both Sexton and Trey Young have shown really promising signs. Trey Young, uh, as a passer, has uh, you know he's averaging over seven assists a game, and Sexton, you know, with the the jump shot has been has been pretty impressive shooting over 40% from three and, and also looking pretty comfortable on the pull-up game. Yeah, uh, Trey Young especially, I, I've, I, watched, I, played, I paid special attention to his first 10 games, and I, he looked like he has range. Even in the NBA, he, didn't, he definitely doesn't like any confidence. It's tailed off a little bit over recent games, but uh, I, like, I like Trey Young. I like, I'm not as high on Colin Sexton as uh, among others, especially just because I think so much of his game is predicated on it on the mid-range jam, and he doesn't, he takes a lot of long twos, um, I believe, and I think even that's why you kind of saw some, his teammates criticize him earlier in the year, you, you know, that report came out where the veterans were, said that he doesn't know how to play basketball, I mean, that, that was probably <laughs> a little too critical, but, but, um, uh, yeah, I mean, I like the rookie class, Luka Dunk, just, he looks like he, he took the top teams that passed on him, especially Sacramento and, uh, and, uh, Phoenix, I, I, I feel like they're gonna get that decision. Yeah, Frankie Neifinger and I went in 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 depth detail about uh, Luka Doncic on last week's episode. But yes, he is he has been better than advertised, and and another guy that's been really impressive uh, for for Memphis is uh, is Jaron Jackson Jr. He had a game against Brooklyn where uh, he put up forty three in a double overtime victory for the Grizz, and he had a a stretch where he he made a four point play and then knocked down a three in the closing seconds to even send that game to overtime. Uh, and, and defensively, he's another guy that has, like Shea Gilgis-Alexander, just super long arms, uh, really uh, is an impactful defensive player right off the bat. Yeah, and I think with Jaron Jackson, in, at least in the draft process, process it was kind of like, okay, he's not going to be this guy who creates his own shot, so we don't really know what he's going to be. But that, I mean, that game against the Nets, I think, was his coming out party. I think a lot of people in the national media started especially recognizing how good this guy is, especially on the defensive end. He seems like... He's an extremely high IQ, and that's that's the thing for the Denver team. I don't know if even they expected him to be this good this fast, especially because he's so young. And I mean, I've been really impressed with what I've seen. Well, yeah, and it, it is really nice to see how well he just fits into that culture, that uh, Memphis still holding on to that grit and grind philosophy. But, uh, you know, the the rookie class just up and down the board, you know, the next couple of guys certainly have some weaknesses, but they've also shown some some real big positives. You know, uh, Aiton, the number one overall pick, averaging a double-double, putting up really efficient offensive numbers, although his, his defense is certainly, you know, there's there's a lot left to be desired there. And then a guy like Marvin Bagley, who was the number two pick, he has absolutely no right hand on the offensive end, but but he still finds a way to, to put up numbers and, and impact the you know the games for a for a Sacramento team that's surprising. Yeah, and I, I think Sacramento is a really nice team. I think that what Bagley provides is he's kind of a spark plug. I think one thing that I I think it's left aside from Bagley's game, just like how smooth it is. I don't relatively think he has a smooth game. 
And I believe that, when, especially when you look at the draft, I think Sacramento made a big mistake. I mean, I think Doncic with Fox would have been lethal. I think even, I'm not as high on Dennis Smith, but I think when you look at Doncic alongside, alongside, alongside a guy like Dennis Smith, I think he would have been great with Fox. I think a lot of Sacramento's success is just because of the improvement. I think Fox improved even more than I thought he would from year one to year two. And I, I don't know if they'll make the playoffs, but I think they are... I think they've shown some signs. I mean, they have some young talent. Buddy Hill, Bogdanovich, they have Fox. I, I, if Bagley can ground into form, I think this team has a bright future, which I, I, I don't know if Kings fans would have said over the summer. Right, and and I think uh, one of the one of the rumors I heard as far as the Sacramento Kings and, and their front office and their decision-making was that uh, they didn't want to take the ball out of, uh, of Fox's hands uh, and, and give it to Doncic. But as uh, a lot of teams, including the, the Warriors and the Rockets and the Cavs when they had LeBron and Kyrie, have shown that you need multiple elite uh, playmakers and guys that handle the basketball. But, uh, Shamir, let's, uh, you know, we, we just talked about how the rookie class has been, has been pretty impressive. What's, uh, what's the next thing on your list? Yeah, the next thing on my list was the Toronto Raptors. I mean, we kind of, I think everyone had Boston in the Eastern Conference as, you know, the runaway team. I think their over-under was around 60 games. And I think everyone was just sort of like, okay, look at this Boston team. They didn't have Kyrie Gordon Hayward last year. They're giving them one team. And they had guys like, uh, they had teams like the Raptors and 76ers in a tier below. But I think after the first 20 games of the season, the Raptors are, by far and away the best team in the Eastern Conference. I, I, I don't think it's relatively close. And I think uh, Quiet maybe is still a little rusty, and that was one of the big question marks. But despite that, I think even the addition of Danny Green has helped a lot. And I think this team is just... Yeah, I, I've, I, I've had so much fun watching them, especially because of Pascal Siakam. I think he's made a leap similar to... What I like in it, too, is how when Steve Kerr took over the Warriors and they uh, gave Draymond Green a, a bigger role that brought David Lee off the bench that year. I think that's sort of what I'm seeing with Pascal Siakam. I mean, this guy is a guy who can run the break. He's a great defender. We saw shades of last year under Dwayne Casey, but I think under Nick Nurse we were seeing a lot more of that. Yeah, Siakam has been absolutely tremendous. He's uh, he's leading the league in, uh, in true shooting percentage, just uh, putting up crazy good offensive numbers. And yeah, he's, he's lethal in transition. He's such a dynamite athlete. And uh, a lot of times in, in isolation as well, he's, he's able to just physically overwhelm his defender at times. Yeah, and uh, you look at this team, those Raptors team, they're, they have great offensive numbers, and they're eighth in defensive efficiency. They, I, I, my question to you is, do you think, I think they're going to come out of the East. I, I, I wonder what your thoughts on that are. And do you think this team, I know they beat the Warriors the other day, but I mean, that was about Draymond Green and Steph, and it was still relatively close. Do you think they can compete with the Warriors? Yeah, those are those are both very interesting questions. I mean, the to me, Boston and Toronto are still the the two teams that are most likely to uh, to face off in the Eastern Conference Finals. And and of course, Boston has has really struggled this year. I think they're at thirteen and ten, but they they've really struggled, especially on the offensive end of the ball. And I feel like uh, Boston will eventually figure it out. You know, it's it's not as much how how a team is performing in December. Uh, is you know the the important thing is how you're performing in in April and May, and uh, you know so so it'll be interesting to see you know is is Toronto also you know kind of peaking at the wrong time you know they're they're playing excellent basketball right now. 
that generally happens with Toronto. They always seem to pick early. Yep, and uh, so so yeah, I, I still would uh, would put that Toronto Boston series as as a bit of a coin flip, but but I really like the the top of the East this year compared to previous seasons for for the main reason being that. In the event that uh, they ma- they match up against the Eastern Conference champion matches up against a Golden State or a Houston, I think the Eastern Conference champion is going to be a defensive juggernaut, whoever it is, and they're going to be able to match up really well and and cause those teams some some issues switching and and having a lot of length and athleticism on the perimeter. Yeah, definitely. I, I mean, that's that's another thing I was. That's why I asked you if the, you think the Raptors are contenders. It's because I, I don't know if there's a team in the West that can challenge the Warriors right now. I mean, you look at the way that the Rockets have started off, it's not encouraging. I mean, I think they will get back together. They've had a lot of injuries. They've had injuries to Chris Paul and James Harden for an extended period of time For in each case. I think that they, they will run back and form. The only problem they've had right now is that their defense is really bad, but and, and to go along with their offense hasn't been the historically great offense we've seen over the past few years. Yeah, Houston, we might as well get into it because Houston is uh, is one of the teams uh, that, that's on my list. Yeah, they're uh, on my list as well. Oh, okay, so we've got <laughs> yeah. a little bit of overlap. So uh, the the Rockets sitting at, yeah, 11-12. and 12. They're 7th in offense, 25th in defense. Their game on Monday night against Minnesota, they put up 29 points in the second half and just 9 points in the fourth quarter. Uh, they, uh, you know, they they just lack a lot of depth. They're, they've been playing uh, Daniel House, who's shooting twenty seven point three percent from three. Uh, you know, a lot of the guys that they, a couple of the guys they relied on last year to knock down threes. Eric Gordon shooting just thirty one percent from downtown, and Gerald Green shooting under thirty one percent. You know, losing Trevor Ariza and Bob Mute and Ryan Anderson, they don't have enough depth at the forward spot, so they haven't been able to utilize the P.J. Tucker at center uh, lineups too often this year, which was a monster for them last season. And uh, they've just really struggled, and, you know, it it hasn't helped either that they uh, have had James Harden has missed some games and Chris Paul for for a variety of reasons, first off a suspension and then, uh, then some injuries. Yeah, I mean, I like this team. I, I honestly, I do think they are still the second best team in the West when everyone's healthy and when they're coming back together. It's just, you know, it's it's kind of off-putting to see because I, I think in this league right now we're looking at the team that can challenge the Warriors and, and besides themselves, as we've seen in recent weeks, I don't know who is going to challenge them. And so it's kind of disappointing for me as it's just, you know, like an NBA fan to see them struggle this much. I do believe that they will get together to a certain extent, but just the defense concerns me. Um, they do have Clint Capella in the back line of defense. That stays the same, but they just lost so much depth of, depth of the offseason. And I don't know how much bringing in guys like James Ennis really helps defensively, and obviously the Carmelo thing just went completely wrong. Yeah, yeah, the, the Anthony experiment was a, was an absolute disaster. Michael Carter-Williams, another signing that made absolutely no sense, given he's one of the worst shooters in the NBA. And uh, the Ennis signing, you know, seemed pretty good, but he's he's not a Trevor Ariza replacement. He's shooting 38, percent but but he doesn't shoot the ball as willingly as Ariza does. So so teams are still willing to leave him and help on that uh, Harden Capella pick and roll. So yeah, they they just have really struggled, and you know the 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 defense obviously is an issue being 25th, but also the fact that they're they're only seventh in offense. You know, for a team with Harden and Chris Paul, you know they were far and away along with the Warriors, uh, one of the best offenses in the history of the league last year. 
and uh, this year they just uh, haven't even been they, – they're good, but uh, they need to be elite to be a contender. Exactly. And I, I think part of that offense – I mean, I know losing tra- shooters like Trevor Reza and even Luka Mbamute is going to hurt. Well, I guess one argument for, for the Rockets' offense is even last year in the playoffs, I mean, Luka Mbamute was I – mean, he was so, so hurt he couldn't even shoot. And, I mean, I guess Trevor Reza struggled a little bit in that Warriors series. I think throughout the regular season it's going to hurt him more than it might hurt him in – in the playoffs, but I, I just don't know if they can get to that historic level, so that'll be interesting to see. Well, and, you know, the, there's always the possibility, you know, Phoenix is the one team in the Western Conference that isn't competing for the playoffs, so you could yeah, I was see... I looking at the standings, and they're so far below everyone else. Yes, and so, you know, you could see Trevor Ariza being bought out, and, uh, you know, maybe Houston could pick him back up, which I think he would uh, would fix a lot of their issues, and then you could have basically James Ennis fill in for that Luke Richard and Bob Mute role. But, you know, you, you mentioned you think they're still probably the best team to, to challenge Golden State, and from what I've seen, I actually, this might surprise you, I actually kind of like the Pelicans still, even though they're, they're struggling record-wise as well, but uh, when they've had uh, Davis, Miritich, and Randall all healthy, uh, they've been a, a really, really good basketball team, and, and I really like that trio. And Randall gives them a, a little bit uh, more in the postseason as a guy that can attack switches and mismatches. Uh, so, so I'm still, uh, I'm still on the train of uh, New Orleans might be the second best team in the West when all is said and done. Yeah, it's interesting to me because when you look at the start of their season, they started off well. The, the I think first half fifteen games, they were like the fourth or fifth seed. They, the only problem I have. with New Orleans is just their sort of lack of shooting. I think that when you have a team like that, they're going to be good defensively, but I just don't understand. I don't think they, I think, especially when the roster was first constructed, I didn't think that they would have enough shooting. And then I think over the past years, the, with the limited resources, they've added guys like Julius Randle, just got good players, but I don't know if they've added good shooting. And I think against the Warriors, that's, that, that's going to be a problem. And I think right now, uh, even though the Warriors struggled without Steph, I mean, he's going to be back and as long as they're healthy. I, I just don't see any team really challenging them to the, to the extent that the Rockets challenged them last year. And yeah, I, I probably agree with that as well. And, and, you know, Golden State, even their struggles is mostly down to injuries. When, when Steph has been out there, they've been they've been as dominant as usual. All right, what's, uh, what's next on your list? Um, next on my list was I had the uh, so we kind of already covered the Celtics slow start. I don't know if you want to get into a little more detail on that. Sure. Yeah. So I mean, I think the only concern I have with the Celtics is I I do agree with you. I do think at the end of the day they are at least the second best team in the Eastern Conference, especially when you look at in the in the playoffs when they have home court advantage. I think it's just extremely hard to win in Boston. Uh, even even last year when you saw they had the first seed, they had probably didn't have the talent advantage against Milwaukee in the first round, but because of, I mean, a number of issues, especially coaching, Milwaukee just wasn't able to beat them in Boston, and then even if you look at the uh, Cavs series, with, you know, they had LeBron, and I guess like LeBron is one of the few players in the NBA that isn't, you know, afraid to go in Boston and met in, um, in Boston and actually win a game there in the Garden, and I think that's just like, you look at a team like Philadelphia last year, they, they, they had a lot of struggle, I feel like in Boston it's hard to win there, but just in terms of basketball, their offense is concerning me. Because last year they said, okay, we don't have Kyrie, we don't have Gordon Hayward. Let's see how it goes. But I think historically, Brad Stevens just hasn't been able to put a great offense just in terms of the numbers. I mean, I test a little different because they usually get open shots. 
I think a big concern for me as far as Boston goes is they have trouble making open shots for whatever reason, and their offense is 20th right now in the league. Yeah, you know their offense has certainly struggled, and Jalen Brown has been has been one of the one of the guys that uh, has really struggled with his shot, his outside jumper. Gordon Hayward, off of his uh, his horrific injury he suffered at the beginning of last year, still rusty, still not looking fully himself yet. He doesn't he lacks a little bit of that explosion. And you know, even at the beginning of the season, Kyrie came into camp a little bit out of shape and. And uh, Tommy Heinsohn actually called him out on it and, and got him into better shape. And Kyrie's been been playing better as of late. And guys like Al Horford, even just across the board, it seems like uh, their their team is is struggling a little bit. And and yeah, the the offensive issues are certainly a concern. They shouldn't be as bad as they are based on the talent that they have on the roster. Uh, but uh, but I, I I imagine they're going to figure it out come playoff time. And uh, you know, a lot of it, I think, will just uh, will just depend on guys like Brown and uh, and Hayward just playing better, and, and and Jason Tatum, another guy that uh, that has struggled a little bit. Yeah, I, 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 I'm interested to see because I don't know uh, how do you have them ranked up against the 76ers? I mean, I think Jim Butler kind of changed the conversation on those two teams competing. I think it'd be really interesting second round match if they end up meeting. Do you think that the 76ers can compete with the Boston Celtics? I, I still don't see it as much as uh, you know as as good as they've played with Butler in the lineup. I just think in a playoff series with the defensive talent that Boston has, uh, you know they they did a great job of slowing down the transition game that uh, that Philadelphia and especially Ben Simmons kind of lives on, and uh, you know they they've got enough size to to give Embiid a difficult time and just kind of pack the paint. And, and I just don't see Philadelphia having enough shooting to really score at a high level in that series. And, you know, despite Boston's struggles, they're still going to have Kyrie Irving. They're still going to have uh, Jason Tatum, guys that can that can create their own shot and, and score the basketball, even if it is in an inefficient manner. So I, I, still, I still would very much uh, favor Boston in that series, although, you know, Jimmy Butler does make things a little bit more interesting. Uh, yeah, one thing I had asked you uh, recently, uh, I think a little bit earlier, you mentioned that, Trevor Reza might be a buyout mark candidate. I, I I think that a team might be able. I think Phoenix might be able to get a, a pick out of a, a contender for Trevor Reza, like a team like the Lakers, even the Seventy Sixers. And I think the Seventy Sixers they kind of missed out on Kyle Korver. I mean, you know, he's definitely not the player he used to be, but he can shoot. And right now they just have no shooters on their team. And you know, you might you might even wonder would they have been better off, or could they even even entice? The Timberwolves and taking a guy like Marco Fultz over one of the shooters they give up, like you know Robert Covington would have been extremely helpful right now. I don't know if Minnesota would have done that deal, but yeah, right now they just don't have any shooting. I think they have, they should call a team like Phoenix to get a guy like Trevor Ariza. I mean, I think they should have called Cleveland a little harder to get Kyle Korver, but who knows what Cleveland was expecting there? Right. I think Ariza's value on Houston. Is is in large part due to the fact that he just understands their system and and knows how to play the game. But but just as a pure prospect and as a guy that if you're if you're trading for him to mainly just be this guy, this gunner, this shooter, he's not he's not an elite shooter and he never really has been. He's had a couple of years where he's been been that good. Whereas you know when you're talking about guys to surround the likes of Simmons, Embiid, and Butler. I feel like you need a J.J. Redick type, a, a guy that, that really teams fear shooting that basketball. 
And uh, unfortunately, Philadelphia only has one of those guys, and that is the aforementioned J.J. Redick. That's why I really wish they went after Kyle Korver. Even during the offseason, there were a lot of rumors that said that links Kyle Korver to the 76ers. Obviously, there's been a past there with Kyle Korver being in Philadelphia earlier in his career. Um, he should help Utah, but I just kind of, you know, for competitive reasons, wish that he was on Philadelphia because I feel like it would have made a potential Boston Philadelphia series even more competitive. Yeah, yeah, it... Uh... Uh, it, it'll be interesting to see if Philadelphia has any more moves up its sleeve. You know, they um, they certainly have have made a big bet on their top three guys, and now it'll just be a matter of figuring out what to put around them. But uh, yeah, going back to to Boston and and uh, in particular Jason Tatum, the next thing on my list is the the idea that the top three guys in the Rookie of the Year from last year have all kind of struggled in my eyes, including Jason Tatum. Uh, he, you know, as a rookie, he shot 47.5% from the field. This year, he's at 44.6. He shot 43.4% from downtown as a rookie. This year, down to 39.8. Uh, he's he's taking a lot of uh, real difficult long two pointers, which is, uh, as you know, the the most inefficient shot in basketball. So he's really struggled. And and also guys like Donovan Mitchell, you know, he as a rookie. His field goal percentage is down this year compared to last year. His three-point percentage uh, as a rookie was at 34%. This year, he's shooting 28.1% from three. And uh, and the other guy in Ben Simmons for the Sixers, uh, you know, his, his points and assist numbers are both down, although his, his efficiency is slightly up. But he's another guy that I don't feel like any of those three have really taken a leap that you would hope for out of guys that were uh, really highly touted rookies last season. Yeah, I, I mean, when we look at last year, a lot these guys were NBA ready. You know, they were the definition of NBA ready. They came in and they just they took the league by a storm. Especially in the case of Donovan Mitchell, you look at this guy; he was a big reason. Like you know, right, right behind Rudy Gobert is why the Jazz succeeded to the level they did and the turnaround they had in the regular season after they got off to a rough start last year. I think a lot of his game, even last year, was predicated on making tough shots. I think. His, the type of shots that Donovan Mitchell just generally takes and the reason he's good is just making bad shots. And so I think he will rebound a little bit, but he definitely has struggled to start the season off. The one I'm concerned with a little bit is Jason Tatum because he did have a great playoff run last year, but even towards the second half of the regular season, he did struggle last year. And one of the funny things to me was how much he said he respects Kobe Bryant. You know, and Kobe was this guy made a living off of just taking just really high inefe- highly inefficient shots and just being really good at it. Right. And I think he takes a lot of these you know, long twos when he should really step back and take threes. I mean, I, I, I think, and he's been doing even more of that this year, and I don't think it's a recipe for success. It's actually one of the big, uh, I've watched a lot of Lakers this year, it's one of the biggest annoyances about uh, Brandon Ingram's game to me, and that, that's, that's kind of what I'm seeing with Jason Tatum. Yeah, he. Uh, I think he's he's annoyed his his own teammates at times with with his shot selection, and uh, certainly he's uh, he's a big part of why the Celtics have have struggled offensively. You know, just having too many guys that uh, that need the ball and, and need to take a lot of shots. But uh, you know, Simmons is is another guy that you know, one rookie of the year had this really really impressive run, especially down the stretch where the Sixers won, I believe, their last 13 games of the regular season, and in a large part without Embiid. Simmons was just phenomenal, playing uh, beautifully in transition, uh, you know, putting up near triple-double type numbers. 
But, uh, you know, a couple of the things that I was hoping to see a little bit more out of him this year was, uh, you know, a little bit improved finishing with his left hand around the basket. He seems to always go back to his right hand. Uh, you know, improving potentially the floater game and the post game. You know, a lot of people obviously are asking for for the jump shot, but I think that might just be broken for his entire career. But there were other ways that he could uh, he could improve his offensive game, and, and I haven't seen much of that. Yeah, and that's what's interesting to me. You've seen. I mean, I honestly wasn't expecting him to improve his jump shot. I don't know if you were either, because it just if some you know there's a difference between him and Giannis. Like Giannis isn't a great shooter, but he can't, like, he attempts shots, he, you know, like, he, he doesn't shoot at a particularly great number, but he attempts shots, you know, it keeps defense honest in some way, but Ben's offensive game is always going to be a little confusing to me, especially we saw with Boston last year to him, when you can't shoot, it's just, it's tough, if you're not even going to attempt jump shots, it's going to be tough, when you look at his right hand, and you said how he can't finish there, I mean, with his left hand, he's been finishing with his right hand. He, well, that's why I don't understand why he won't try shooting with his right hand. And, you know, that's something uh, Kevin O'Connor has been really, you know, behind is why, why won't you shoot with your right hand if you're right-handed? And I think that might be part of what's wrong with his jump shot. If you, if you can't shoot with your less dominant hand, maybe try shooting with your actual hand. Right, and, you know, the, the, the most common case recently was that Tristan Thompson did that. And, uh, you know, Tristan Thompson in the first year or two that he made that change actually looked like he was he was uh, going to be a lot more productive as a uh, as a free throw shooter especially but that is kind of stagnated for him it's, it it would be interesting to see him attempt that but you know the the likelihood that that he can all of a sudden at, at his age switch to the right hand and, and actually become not only you know capable but but competent at that is uh, is unlikely to say the least but but that has been that has been an interesting thing that uh, you know you you hope to see uh, especially guys at that age continue to make leaps and bounds of improvement and, and I just haven't seen that so uh, Shamir what uh, what do you have next on your list yeah so we talked about Celtics last one thing I, I talked about uh, Lakers a little bit earlier I think the Lakers defense has surprised me just in terms of their numbers because it's really different from what I'm seeing from my test of actually watching them. They're seventh in defensive efficiency to start the season off. And when you watch this team, they don't look like they're seventh. I mean, I know they've made, you know, a ton of improvement ever since they got Tyson Chandler. But, and they had a ton of uh, easy competition, I'd say, over the course of this last month because they did have a ton of games that, you know, they should have won. And they did win to the credit. But, that's their seventh right now in the league, and I, I was I just want to discuss. Do you think their defense is legit? Well, they they certainly you know last year they I think that was one of the reasons why they were kind of on the rise as a young team is because they they were a pretty solid defense. They were in the upper half of the league and they were in the top ten for a period of time. Uh, but you know they they've got solid defenders. You know Lonzo Ball uh, is is a solid defensive player. Even Brandon Ingram I think is is decent on that end. Uh, Josh Hart is a, is a pretty good defensive player. KCP has that reputation. Uh, so you know they they have a lot of guys that are that are pretty good defensively. And LeBron James, of course, when he's engaged, is uh, is one of the best defenders in the league. Although that, that doesn't happen that often. But as you mentioned, the Tyson Chandler pickup, I think that was the biggest problem early on in the season was. They were going with a lot of lineups with Kyle Kuzma at the center position, and and those teams just had zero shot blocking and zero resistance around the basket. Uh, but now that they've added Chandler, they can at least get 
you know, close to 48 minutes of, of competent center play from the likes of that McGee Chandler pairing. So that, and that has helped. Uh, that has helped quite a bit. But yeah, I, I like their defense. I don't know if I like them to be seventh at the end of the year, but but I certainly can see them being a, a top half of the league defense. Yeah, and when I like their team. I think the probably the biggest weak link on their defense right now, and I think he's actually sort of improved as the season progressed. Is Kyle Guzma? I think earlier in the year he was just letting guards just dribble past him. I mean, there was a game against the Rockets, you know, the infamous suspension game where it was like I think the third quarter or maybe I don't know there was like somewhere in that game where there were like two or three straight plays where Chris Paul was just going at him and he showed no resistance I think Kyle Kuzma needs to improve defensively for him to have a greater impact because I think this year we're seeing that maybe we didn't see last year or get a confirmation of it is he's probably going to settle into a rotation player he's not going to be probably not an all-star his shooting numbers have dipped drastically this year and one of the comp- player comps that I saw the summer for Kyle Kuzma was Jeff Green, and that's kind of worst case scenario for me. For him. And that's a one. I, I, I'm kind of hoping he improves his jump shooting and, and his three point shooting needs to go up because he has open looks too, especially playing alongside LeBron. It's going to happen, and this Lakers team just cannot shoot. They're, they don't have they don't have any shooting on their team. The only the one guy that can shoot is Josh Hart, and he's not. I wouldn't classify him as a sharpshooter, and he's even him. He's played injured over the past few games with an ankle injury. I, I that's that's what's concerning me about this Lakers team is can they get shooting? Is there a way for them to even improve that in this market? And but that's what's, I think the biggest problem for them, and that's what's going to be worthy of keeping track. Yeah, if Kuzma ends up uh, his worst case scenario is Jeff Green. Yeah, that that wouldn't be good considering how much. Uh, praise he was receiving after his rookie year but uh, you know I, I look at him and I kind of see maybe the upside being a player kind of in the mold of like an Anton Jameson a guy that can that can can fill it up maybe not super efficiently and uh, you know is below average to maybe average defender on a good night uh, but uh, you know he certainly can that player and Anton Jameson certainly showed that uh, that can be a starting caliber or at least a very valuable rotation piece. Yeah, I think, and I think one of the I think early season problems with their defense, just to go back on that a little bit, is just LeBron's effort level. I think it just wasn't even close to being there. Right. He was he wasn't even closing out on shooters. I mean, and I followed LeBron's career pretty closely. I think his defensive effort, I think in the last Miami year, at least in the regular season, like 2014 season, I think that's kind of when it stopped showing up in the regular season. But I think he still could count in the playoffs. I think even that part of his game just has tailed off over the last two years, even in the playoffs. Because I think before it was like, oh, when LeBron turns it on, he's going to be a lockdown defender. To the point where I think, you know, he gets a lot of praise for keeping it up in year 16, which he deserves. But I think part of that trade-off is just he can't bring it defensively anymore. All right, and especially with the fact that uh, the Lakers have emphasized running and, uh, you know, really playing at a high pace, and, and he's still playing... I don't have the the numbers on this, but he's still playing, I believe, a pretty high amount of minutes. Uh, you know, it, it is almost uh, unfair to expect him to to bring it every night on the defensive end. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think we're expecting like year twenty five LeBron on defensive end. It's just not going to happen. I mean, his offensive numbers through the roof. I mean, they're they're incredible. Even he struggled shooting the three earlier on, but even he brought that up to around thirty six, thirty seven percent. I mean, he's been playing amazingly offensively. Yes, <laughs> that's why he's one of the greatest players of all time. 
Now, uh, going to the next uh, item on my list, uh, it's actually a, a game I saw, uh, and, and it's a pretty recent game. It was the Toronto Raptors versus the Golden State Warriors game from just last week. Absolutely one of the most entertaining games I've seen this year. I don't know if you caught it, but it was, uh, it was an absolutely terrific duel between Kawhi Leonard and Kevin Durant. Kawhi Leonard ended up with 37 points on 14 of 24 shooting. Durant with 51 on 18 of 31 from the field. And Durant hit this absolutely ludicrous shot at the end of regulation where he he got the ball along the baseline, dribbled back, falling away with Kawhi Leonard contesting and knocked it down to to send it to OT. Uh, But, uh, you know, those are are some of my favorite types of games is when you've got two guys – a couple of the elite players at a, at a specific position going at it and, and both playing at a really high level. Yeah, I, I did catch that game. I caught a lot of the end of it, especially, and it was just great seeing them go back and forth. I think that game was just a reminder of, you know, for as much criticism Kevin Durant gets, he's just this incredible, incredible talent, and he's not going to be around forever. He, that, that game, was he could not miss from anywhere on the floor. I, and I, this is, he's been covered by probably one of the greatest defenders of the last 20 years, Kawhi Leonard, you know what I mean? And he's still just this incredible talent. I That's why I hope to see him on the team in, in a few years so we can see really him carry a team because I think he doesn't have it He does have it in him as we did see in Oklahoma City. And that game, the biggest takeaway I had that for that game for this season's impact is, yeah, great win for the, the Raptors, but it was particularly close. And I think when you have, in my opinion, two of their most important players out, it, it's sort of troubling because I, I think when you look at the finals, I think the Raptors are probably their biggest threat, and I don't know if they can even be competitive. I think it won't probably go five or six games, but I do think that the Warriors have an advantage over them. Yeah, the other takeaway I had from it was that that Lowry certainly struggled in that game, and I feel like I, you know, Lowry has struggled in certain postseasons. Although the last couple of postseasons, I think he's been pretty solid. But, uh, you yeah. know, he, he has a history of, of struggling sometimes in, in the postseason and in the biggest types of games. And, you know, the, the Warriors put Andre Iguodala on Lowry for big chunks of that game, and, and Lowry couldn't seem to get his shot off and, 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 and really struggled, especially on the offensive end. Yeah, I have to agree with you. All right, well, Shamir, what, uh, what's next on your list? Yeah, I think um, the next the logical transition here would be to discuss a little bit of the Warriors' early season drama. Uh, I think the Warriors drama has probably beat the death a little bit because of uh, so much of the media coverage, but one of the things I, I was interested in is kind of the impact of that fight that Draymond and KD had. I think the fight itself probably doesn't mean that much. I think they'll get over that. I think they'll still win this year. I think what was interesting in the reporting that came out of that is one of the, some of the players were saying, oh, we already kind of think that Kevin Durant is sleeping. It's not that it's not that that fight is what's going to cause it or is going to have an effect. The reason that fight happened, maybe even, is because we already think he's living. And that's sort of from what was reported that Draymond said it's clear. And so my thoughts were, do you think that Kevin Durant's going to be here the next year? I personally don't. And, you know, there's a lot of people that I've heard that have said, well, if they if they win again, then he's got to come back. But my question is, why? You know, <laughs> what? Just because they win, that'd be that'd be they, them winning the three peat. 
Uh, what, what else would he possibly have left to accomplish on the Warriors? You know, the, there's not there's not too many people that, that talk about, oh, the four-peat or whatever, you know, yeah, the I three... I that would be the one thing if you, if you, wanted, to, if you, if you wanted to be the guy behind the four-peat. Right, but... But yeah, I think three Pete puts you in a in a category among the greatest teams of all time. You know, he he'll win at least two Finals MVPs, if not another one, if he uh, if if he gets it this year. Uh, so you know, if if he's not super happy, or if as as you said, he just wants to take on a new challenge and and lead a team and and be inarguably the the best player on a, a team competing for a championship. Uh, I wouldn't be shocked to see him leave, and, and that's kind of what I'm expecting at this point. Yeah, and what I think is, I mean, he doesn't seem happy, right? It, it seems like the winning, I think when we saw LeBron win in Miami, it was kind of under different circumstances. It was supposed to be with, like, two of the top five players and then be with Dwayne Wade and LeBron, but during the run we saw Dwayne Wade's talents sort of deteriorate over time, and it was kind of clear who, who was the top dog and who's the sidekick, and I, I, that's not happening with the Warriors. They're both, Steph and Katie are both in their prime, and I just don't think he's getting happiness because no one is no one is sort of crowning him. No one, no one really cares. They won the championship, and people were more concerned about free agency. And I think that sort of bugs him, and I think it should kind of bug him, and I think that'll affect sort of the future of the NBA after this season. I, I see him leaving, too. Do you do you have any particular team that you can see him fitting on? Hmm, that's that's an interesting question. You know, the 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 biggest rumor I've heard is potentially New York and pairing with Kristaps uh, Porzingis, and and maybe a lot of that will be determined on whether or not Porzingis can come back this season and show that he's you know his same old self. Uh, but uh, you know, him being in the in the Big Apple would certainly be exciting, and New York fans I'm sure would would really like that. And they've got some young talent on the roster with uh, with Mitchell Robinson and uh, and Kevin Knox. Along with Porzingis and, and Tilakina, that would be uh, that would be an interesting one where he would be, you know, despite having a, a talent in Porzingis, he would be undoubtedly the top dog on that roster. Which uh, you know, if if you're talking about a team he might go to that would would immediately become a championship contender, you you might have a situation where he had with Golden State, where you know people are questioning whether it's him or Steph's team. Yeah, that, that's uh, another thing, I, I, another rumor I heard was just like, oh, you know, everyone says LeBron and Kevin Durant in Los Angeles, and I don't know how that would help his, you know, this this kind of need he has for being the top dog, especially because he wouldn't, he definitely would have been the top dog there, or it would just be competing, there would be two of the best players, kind of in the same stature, and I think it would be an interesting choice to go to LA, but I think that maybe New York would just just for a legacy play a franchise that hasn't won in ages and decades he would definitely be kind of a mentor among the young talent sort of how like LeBron was to Kyrie in Cleveland and that's why I could definitely see that working well and you know he uh, he has a little bit more leeway than even LeBron who LeBron took kind of the long play uh, going to the Lakers realizing that they probably weren't going to compete for a title this year but Durant, a few years younger, he may have the ability and and the patience to to potentially realize that yeah, if I go to New York, maybe we're not a championship contender immediately, but uh, within a couple of years, perhaps if the young talent develops and and they get a couple more rotation pieces in there, that they could be could be in position. But yeah, this off season is just going to be absolutely nuts. Yeah, definitely. And I think what the one interesting thing is the off season is some of the big pieces are kind of settled. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, you, you look at Kawhi, I think if he doesn't come back with Toronto, I think 
maybe he'll go to one of the LA teams, most likely the Clippers. But I think, and even Jimmy Butler got traded to the 76ers. That's one of the interesting things to me. I don't, I, I don't, along with Clay, I don't know, I don't know if he, I don't see him leaving the Warriors. To be honest with you, that's why I'm trying to look at the big pieces that can even move, and I, I don't really see. It. Right, and uh, you know the the Oklahoma City Thunder, you know, showed that uh, you know making a trade for a guy and, and showing him your your culture and uh, showing him your city that maybe that can convince him to stay, and that's what Toronto's hoping with Kawhi and. And I think, as you said, I think Clay is very happy in Golden State. So, so yeah. After I'm just saying that uh, the the off season might be crazy. You're you're very right that it might absolutely not be. It could be boring. But <laughs> I, I think the NBA off is always going to be some level of crazy just because there's so much movement that goes on now. So I agree with that part. I just I don't think, and I, I think that really hurts. Uh, I think that really burns one team in particular. I think you know a lot of the talk about LeBron going to LA was. Oh, he's gonna go to LA. He's gonna wait a year, and you know there's kind of a controversy like, oh, do you want to wait a year? I don't know who they're gonna get. I, I don't think there is anyone to get this offseason. I think this is sort of the team that the Lakers have outside of you know trading for maybe a guy like Bradley Beal or you know superstars are available through the trade market every year. But I think in terms of free agency, there just isn't a big fish that you can catch. Well, yeah, I feel like the Lakers are going to acquire a big fish, whether, you know, it, and I think the hope is that it's through free agency where they don't have to give up anything. But if they yeah. if they fail in free agency, I think it's it's very likely that uh, that um, Magic Johnson and Rob Palenka will pull the trigger with their young talent and, and, and try to get a secondary star. Uh, but uh, moving on to the next thing on my list, I've got Blake Griffin. Blake Griffin has, has, has been absolutely terrific for the Detroit Pistons. The you know we're recording this on a Tuesday night and, and the Pistons currently thirteen and eight, uh, you know a very impressive record for uh, for the Pistons and and Griffin has been has been the main reason for that he's he's shooting thirty six percent from downtown on over six attempts per game, uh, scoring more than he ever has he's averaging twenty four point six points per game, uh, rebounding more than he has in in quite a few years he's averaging nine point two boards five assists. 57.3% true shooting on over 29% usage. He has been phenomenal, and and you know he's he's really kind of uh, made a made an interesting change in his career. Whereas when he was with the Clippers and Chris Paul, he was the you know the the pick and roll recipient. Whereas now he's he's much more often the ball handler and uh, and really dictating things and and creating a lot of good offense for the Pistons. Yeah, I think this. Blake Griffin trade to the Pistons is one of the rare occurrences where we see both teams just like benefit greatly. I mean, you know, you got Tobias Harris with the Clippers and you got Blake Griffin here. It seems like it worked for both teams. And in addition, along with the draft pick that the Clippers got, the interesting to me, interesting thing to me is I think a lot of the reaction to when the Pistons first got Blake Griffin was, oh, no, this is just Draymond, this is Drummond and uh, Greg Monroe all over again. These two big guys up front that aren't going to be able to provide enough spacing. But as we saw with the Clippers the last few years that Blake Griffin had with the Clippers is he's he can pass and he can shoot. And he's, he's made such great strides over the years as a shooter. He has, as you mentioned, the uh, increased range. And I believe that's a lot of, for a lot of the reason. I think that's the reason the Pistons have started off so hot. And I'm just, I hope he can stay healthy. I, I think similar to how he said Gallinari, his health is why the Clippers have had a lot of success. I think the same thing is with Blake Griffin. He's just the big problem with him is he just can't stay healthy. 
Yeah, and you know the you mentioned the the improvement he's made to his jump shot. That's been that's been very impressive. You got to give him a lot of credit for for the continued work he he adds to his game. And you know for for a while he was a guy that uh, for a big man he was a good ball handler. But I think we can just get to the point where you know he he's just a pretty good ball handler as a basketball player. And uh, you know he he's become really a, a point forward in in the same mold as as like a Ben Simmons. Yeah, and I think. I agree. I think when, especially that series a few years ago, he had against the Spurs. When um, I, I think he's just shown flashes of this, and now it's being become even more consistent with the health. And I think if the health stays consistent, this guy's a great player. I think a lot of the growling towards that trade for the Pistons was just like, okay, this guy can't stay healthy, and he's not the big to pair along Drummond. But I think we're seeing that the flash that we saw in L.A. over the last few years are kind of coming to fruition. And I think he can keep us up. I think one of the annoying things about the Pistons team over the last few years is that they've gotten off the hot starts and they've tailed off. But now with the addition of Dwayne Casey and now Blake Griffin, I think this is a team that can be a solid Eastern Conference team. Well, and, and I think the other, the other big thing that, that people were complaining about as far as the Pistons side of that Blake Griffin deal was the fact that you know the contract that he is on in three or four years, he's going to be get making close to forty-five or fifty million. So you know, obviously, he's playing great right now. But uh, you know, for that contract and that trade to work out, he's he needs to maintain this level for at least a couple more years, and and that'll be interesting to see given given his uh, his injury history. Uh, but uh, let's let's hear what you have next on your list, Shamir. Yeah, the next thing that I had was actually kind of added over last night when the Bulls got rid of. Uh, their, their coach, Fred Hoiberg, I thought that was a really interesting decision by both management, especially because this isn't a team that's really going anywhere anytime soon. I was interested to see why they fired Fred Hoiberg. I wasn't a particularly big fan of Fred Hoiberg. I am based in Chicago, so I do catch some of the Bulls games, but I, I just don't understand the timing of the move. I think that that is the only problem I have with it. I was wondering your thoughts on the Bulls coaching move. Yeah, it's... Uh... It's interesting, you know, he, he never really got, in my mind, a team that really fit his style. You know, he was, uh, in his college days with Iowa State, he was known for the, the, the floor spacing and the, and the fast-paced offense. And then the, uh, the front office for Chicago put, gave him Jimmy Butler, Rajon Rondo, and Dwayne Wade. You know, it was, it's like, uh, you know, it, it absolutely just did not make sense, uh, you know, for the coach that they had and, and the roster that they were building. And, you know, even this year, they, they've had a, a bunch of injuries, especially to Lowry Markinen, who, who I believe just played one game for Fred Hoiberg, and, and now Fred is, uh, is out of his job. But Markinen, you know, coming into the year was, was arguably the Bulls' best player, and, uh, you know, Hoiberg didn't get a chance to even really coach him. And I think another thing that, uh, you know, I certainly was against the, the firing and I think the, the, the biggest issue is the, the expectations going into the season. I think there were a lot of people, for some reason, that thought this Bulls team was actually going to be good. Uh, but, uh, but I totally didn't see it. You know, you had Jabari Parker and, 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 Zach, and Zach Levine, who are two guys that, that just absolutely are, are atrocious defensively. And, and their offense, without uh, an elite point guard to, to initiate things, I didn't think was ever going to be that fantastic either. Yeah, I think I agree with you. I, I, I had some people telling me that the playoff, that the Bulls going to be a fringe playoff team. I just didn't see it. I, I, I this team just isn't good defensively. They don't have the talent defensively, let alone the scheme. 
And I think that's why it was a little unfair for Fred Hoiberg to be fired. Even if we're not talking about whether or not it was fair for Fred Hoiberg, I don't understand what hiring a new coach with this team is going to do. Because this isn't a team that this year or next year is going to compete. Why not wait it out for the rest of Fred Hoiberg's contract and just hire a coach that you want to lead after you kind of had the direction of your franchise a little settled? I mean, I like the drafty Wendell Clark Jr. He's obviously not ready yet to be a significant contributor. But I just don't see this team being good against good with any coach, you know, let alone Jim Portland. Yeah, and you know, another guy that uh, Chris Dunn has been another guy that's been hurt for good chunks of the season. So you know, they they lacked a lot of talent at the point guard position to begin the year, and then even their best player at that spot has has been out. So yeah, it, it was definitely an unfair unfair situation for Hoiberg throughout his tenure in Chicago. But I imagine he'll get another opportunity in the league shortly. You know, he. He had a couple of uh, a couple of good seasons, including that year where, uh, despite having a, a team that really didn't make a lot of sense, nearly won a first round playoff series against Boston before uh, Rondo hurt his uh, hurt his thumb. But uh, moving on to the next thing on my list, I've got the uh, the Memphis Grizzlies, and uh, the Grizzlies sitting at thirteen and nine in the West. Uh, they're they're twenty third in offensive rating, fifth in defense. And, uh, you know, the, the biggest concern I had for Memphis, I was kind of a, a Grizzlies skeptic heading into the season, uh, was the health and, and the play of their best players, Conley and Gasol. Uh, but so far, they've been healthy. They've both been playing really well, especially Gasol on the offensive end, shooting over 40% from three. And, uh, you know, they in this offseason, they, they added guys like Garrett Temple and uh, Kyle Anderson to kind of strengthen that wing depth that they had on the roster and you know they they've just with with the strength of Connolly and Gasol and and an okay supporting cast they they've done pretty well for themselves. Yeah, and I think the biggest thing you mentioned was health. Uh, I think if Mike Connolly and Mark Gasol are healthy, this is a team unlike some of the other teams we discussed that they've had a proven track record. This core being a playoff team, I mean they're successful and these two guys are healthy. And I think over Mike Connolly, especially two years ago against in that series against San Antonio. That was kind of his national spotlight to where everyone kind of said, oh, this guy's, why aren't we talking about Mike Conley? And I think it was similar to how Drew Holiday took over last year against Portland in the first round. I think they have some great players. This isn't, this isn't like a case with the Los Angeles Clippers where we don't have proven productive players in like important games. Mike Conley and Marcus are great players. I like some of their additions. You know, a guy like Sean Mack is playing incredible. And as far as their additions go, I mean, Jared Jackson kind of highlighting that, right? I mean, this, this is a rookie who's contributing in a way that we didn't think that he would, and uh, that, that's what the most impressive. Yeah, and you know they they've maintained that that grit and grind style. Obviously, uh, you know, playing at a slow pace and and being a pretty dominant defensive group. But uh, they've also kind of evolved with the current state of the NBA. You know, with with the likes of Gasol and Jaron Jackson Jr. And uh, Jamichael Green, you know, most of the bigs that are getting a lot of their minutes are also guys that can, can knock down threes. Yeah, and I, I don't know about you, but when I saw that they were going to hire Jay Brickstaff in the offseason, I wasn't too encouraged, to be honest with you, after what I saw with this stint in Houston. But it seems like he has them going to what this identity of this team has been in the past, with coaches like Collins and you know, even David Fisso before he got the axe. But I, I think that this team... They've shown, they've shown that they can be a playoff team. They're, they're a team that I'm actually not as worried about. You know, I told you I was a little worried about the Clippers and how, how they're going to fare for the rest of the year. I think this team is a good team. I think they're going to show. I mean, I know Chandler Parsons signing that just 
that hasn't paid off for them at all. But I think this is a team going forward that will be a playoff team. Well, and the fact that they're they're four games over five hundred despite having the twenty third ranked offense just goes to show how they're they're a team that that constantly is able to to win close games and and, and win those real tough battles. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I totally believe that as long as they're healthy, their defense is real, and they're going to be a team that's competing for the playoffs. But uh, you know, the, at the event that of a Conley or Gasol injury, I think this could go downhill very quickly. Uh, what's uh, what's the next thing on, you got on your list? Yeah, so we talked a little bit. Uh, we already kind of covered some of the things I have on my list, like the Rockets' slow start and sort of the uh, Philadelphia situation, um, even Doncic and. Uh, you know, we talked a little bit about Anthony Davis and the Pelicans. One interesting thing about that I had from his first 20 games is Giannis is running away with the MVP. I think he is just sort of... I don't think there's going to be any competition. I think Steph was sort of the consensus pick among the first 10 games, but he's now missed a ton of games. And I, I don't know about you, but I don't expect that to be the first occurrence. I think the Warriors are going to rest him a lot. As right. The season progresses, and I think Giannis is sort of running away with the MVP. Yeah, I mean, he's. Uh, I, I heard a stat recently. I believe it was on Dunked On. They they mentioned that uh, Giannis is uh, is one of the first players since maybe Shaquille O'Neal that's averaging over ten two point made baskets per ball game. So he's just living in the paint. He's been a guy that every year people talk about. Oh, he's he's got to improve that jump shot to take the next step. But uh, it really hasn't been the case. He's really just continued to improve on his strengths, and, and his strength is attacking in transition, uh, overwhelming guys physically around the basket. And uh, the way he just bullies even power forwards at times is is just downright mean. Yeah, I was reading a piece that uh, Matt Moore wrote the other day, and he was talking about you know usually how Giannis' lack of shooting would be used against him. He's so good despite his shooting struggles. That it, it really is a benefit to his argument of how great of a player he is and his MVP argument. I think if he, I think last year he had a similar start, and it kind of tailed off just because of team success. I think the team success will be there throughout this entire year. And unless I think, I think one thing I can see happening is if the Raptors finish uh, as the number one team in the NBA and Kawhi stops missing back-to-backs, I think that there's a chance that he can end the argument. But I think otherwise, if Giannis can just keep us up and team success stays consistent, because even over the last five, six games, uh, the Bucks have struggled a little bit to win games. And I think their play hasn't been as great it was for, let's say, the first 10, 15 games of the season. So I, I think maybe if that continues and that downward trend continues, maybe his MVP chances are lessened. But I think I think I think they'll be successful. Yeah, Bucks sitting at uh, at fifteen and seven, and that's a perfect segue to to one of the things on my list, which is uh, it's another Milwaukee Buck, and that's Chris Middleton. Uh, he's been a guy that uh, you know his his previous career high in terms of three point attempts was five, which was last season. Uh, but uh, you know, Coach Mike Budenholzer coming into the Milwaukee Bucks organization immediately prioritized shooting the three on offense. And uh, he's up that to 7.3 attempts this year, and he's shooting uh, right about 42% on those three-point shots. And, you know, he's uh, he's shooting 60.1% from a true shooting percentage, and he's averaging over 21 points per game per 36 minutes. And again, for a Bucks team that, as you mentioned, struggling a little bit as of late, but still one of the better records, the second-best record in the East, and also they've got one of the best point differentials in the NBA. Yeah, I think... Uh... 
in the Bucks, with the Bucks in particular, I, you can definitely say they're not missing Jabari Parker. Um, but in addition to that, I think when, when Budenholzer came, one of the things I had on my list was the Budenholzer effect on the Bucks. You saw with signings like Brook Lopez and uh, Pat Connaughton, they were going to emphasize shooting. And it's just, it's nice to see them having a direction and a vision for how they want to play. I think last year, that is the big reason they lost. I think the talent was there last year to at least be a second, third round team and to even be Boston in the first round. It's just the, the coaching was just so haywire that they weren't able to get consistency. And I think when you mentioned Chris Middleton in particular, I think we can safely say he's fully recovered from that injury. I think when he first came back, there was a lot of rust and there was a lot of consistency issues because of of his rehab, but now I think he's all the way back, and he's a big reason for why this team is going to be so good. Well, and he's another guy we, we talked about, uh, free agencies, maybe free agents this offseason staying put. He's another guy that's a, that's a free agent, and uh, I think the Bucks should prioritize holding on to him. I think he's uh, he's been a huge part of, of their success. So uh, what, do you, uh, what do you have next on your list? Yeah, other than the things we've covered, I think well, the one last thing I had that we haven't covered is really the Kings drama. I think what's weird about the Sacramento Kings is that they've actually had a surprising start to the season, and yet they still have found a way to have drama. I mean, they have concerns over Dave Yeager not being able to coach the future of this team and how you know their management's been split and how he had to actually tell their assistant GM to leave a practice the other day. I think that's kind of odd that even when they had these sort of stints of success, they just can't get their front office right now, and I can't help but wonder, I mean, is it time that they get rid of like Evox's regime in general, because they just can't seem to have any consistency in the front office. Right, yeah, it's uh, it's really confusing because, like, you know, you, you, you talk about a team that, that is uh, is surpassing expectations, the Kings are doing that, and uh, you know, you, you certainly should not be blaming the head coach at this stage for, for really anything, and and you know one of the things that apparently the front office is, is unhappy with Jaeger about is the idea that uh, he's playing veterans over the young young guys, and and I don't see a lot of that. I mean, the, the only I guess the uh, the best example would be that Bagley is coming off the bench, but uh, you know they signed Bialica, you know, so if if you don't want Jaeger to play Bialica, why'd you sign him in the first place? You know, it's 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 really confusing, and you know, Jaeger has every right to say, you know what, my my reputation is based on my team's success. So if Bialica is the better option here to start, I'm going to start him. Yeah, and I think not only are they did they sign Bialica, they actually can. They, he had a contract with the Seventy Sixers, and he kind of said, "Oh no, I don't want to play in the NBA anymore. I'm going to." I'm going to Europe, and then the Kings brought him back. They did that with uh, uh, Yogi Ferrell as well. He was going to go to Dallas, and that's. I mean, if you're going to sign these veteran players and go that hard after them, I mean, they expect to play, right? You're not going to convince uh, the elite said that you know you still have a spot and then be in and not play him. I don't understand how why this organization just can't seem to get any sort of consistency. Maybe it's because of the ownership's you know insistence on being involved with the decisions. But I think that you know, as far as what we can see is Vladi Divac has not had has not been able to have a consistent regime and you look at it even when they traded to Marcus Cousins he said oh yeah we had better offers but we just we took Buddy Heald and I like Buddy Heald but it was just sort of even the way they make their decisions is just confusing and they finally have success they finally have had a few draft classes that worked and a few moves that have worked and they still just can't seem to get out of their own way 
Yeah, it is a it's a it's a spotty track record as far as the player acquisitions go as well. You know, Fox looks certainly looks really good in year two. He's one of the you know I mentioned how the the, the sophomore players, who, uh, the rookies that really impressed last year are kind of struggling this year. Well, Fox is kind of the opposite. You know, he really struggled last year and he's been really impressive thus far. But uh, you know, they 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 acquired Bogdan Bogdanovich and and he's been really good. And obviously the Buddy Heald acquisition in the in the DeMarcus Cousins trade, that one's looking better and better every day with Heald having a, a solid season. But, uh, you know, Bagley is, is certainly a question mark. Uh, you know, Justin Jackson and Harry Giles are still very much question marks. And, you know, if, if they if they messed up this Bagley deal, with uh, which I feel like is the case because Doncic looks like the real thing, uh, you know, maybe that's worth uh, changing the, the front office just for that mistake alone. I think down the line they'll definitely look at that decision. And I mean, I think you can look at it right now. I mean, I know Bagley's got a, a ton of years left in the in his career to make strides. It's just Doncic just looks so amazing. I think a lot of I think with Doncic, I think the case is just the uh, franchise is just overthinking it. Uh, that's uh, it's that simple because this isn't a guy that was like, oh, he came out of nowhere. He had a lot of hype around him, and he somehow still slipped. Yeah, so uh, moving on to uh, the last couple of things on my list. I've got three left, but we'll get through them pretty quick here. Uh, the, uh, the Another game that I thought was, uh, was, was worth mentioning was the Denver Nuggets versus the Boston Celtics game earlier this year. And uh, it, was a, it was a duel of point guards between Kyrie Irving and Jamal Murray. Kyrie Irving putting up 31 points on 14 of 17 from the field. And Jamal Murray with a career-high 48 points on 19 of 30 shooting. That was just an absolutely fantastic back-and-forth ball game. And it also had a little controversy at the end with Jamal Murray. Uh, you know, as the clock was winding down and the Nuggets already with the game in hand, uh, he took a three to try to go for 50. And uh, that certainly didn't uh, uh, didn't make the Celtics very happy. Yeah, I, I caught the game. That was one of the most entertaining games of the season. I, I, what's your opinion on this? Because I think you should just be able to score whenever you want. I don't know. I don't know about the respecting where you have to dribble the clock off the last twenty seconds. Just shoot. You, you know, it's like, it's, it's, a, it's part of the fun of the game. I don't understand why it's that big of a controversy. Yeah, it's like one of those unwritten rules that uh, that people get really upset about. But yeah, I, I agree with you. you. You know, how many times are you going to have an opportunity to score fifty points in an NBA game? You know, I, I say go for it. Uh, but uh, but you know, at the same time, you can also somewhat understand why the Celtics would be upset. You know, we're not really playing defense at this point, uh, so so you're kind of cheating the system there. But, but yeah, that, uh, that was certainly a really fun game. Moving on to the last couple of things, they both involve the Minnesota Timberwolves. The, the Jimmy Butler trade, you know, I, I, I talked with Stephen Lowe about this when, when it happened, but uh, it's certainly been, been more and more fascinating as the weeks have gone on after the trade where both teams are playing really well. We mentioned Minnesota's win over Houston where they absolutely locked down the Rockets in the second half. The Timberwolves are 7-3 and three since the trade. Guys like Andrew Wiggins and Carl Anthony Towns are actually trying on defense. Uh, Robert Covington seems to be a, a real defensive force and, and really getting that team to commit on that end of the ball. And Saric has been a, has been a, a key addition uh, for Minnesota off the bench. They're playing good basketball. And at the same time, Philadelphia got their third star. And, uh, you know, they've been 8-2 and two since the trade, including a couple of game winners from Jimmy. Yeah, I think that this trade just shows us how mismanaged the situation was to begin with in Minnesota. 
because Cat looks like a different guy out there. I mean, he, he, he just didn't look the same. I don't know if it was a confidence issue with Jimmy Butler calling him out in the public, but I feel like this is just evidence of that they should have gotten rid of Jimmy Butler even earlier because they kind of have not that going a hole. I mean, they're only two games behind some of the teams like in the 6-7 range, but it sort of set them back a little bit. I think the trade should have made it earlier, and I think we see a lot of the impact. I mean, their defense looks like a transformed defense, and I think part of that is because of Robert Covington, but I think a lot of it is just the other guys, it's not awkward anymore. I mean, I think just in the locker room, you can see this is just a different group of guys. They're not, you know, scared. They're not, oh, is Jim Butler playing tonight? Is he not playing tonight? Is he resting? Is he not resting? Is he actually hurt? Is, like, that entire situation is just so dysfunctional. I think that this is just proving that, you know, they should have traded him earlier. Yeah, and, you know, Wiggins and Towns both had really impressive defensive outings last night, some of the best defensive performances I've ever seen from them in their career. You know, Towns had a play where he was defending the pick and roll and dropping back and, you know, having to defend not only the the ball handler but the roll man as well. And Eric Gordon had it, and he tried to find the roll man. And and Towns, you know, had his left hand up to contest a potential shot and then got stuck his right hand out and deflected the pass. Uh, And and Wiggins had a couple of really impressive blocks and – including a, an emphatic left-handed block into the stands. So, yeah, the uh, Minnesota certainly uh, playing a lot better basketball, and, and Towns is a guy that, as a number one option, I think is, is very capable uh, to be that uh, on uh, on a pretty good offense. And, and I think with, with Butler out of town now, he can, he can very much be comfortable being that guy for that team. Yeah, I, mean, I have to agree. I think, I think, and you talked a lot about the Philadelphia side. We've already kind of discussed a little bit. I think it's going to be interesting to see how continually that Ben Simmons and Butler dynamic is going to play out because I think although Jimmy Butler is a great cutter, I think he does like having the ball in his hands. So it'll be interesting to see where they position Ben Simmons on the floor. Yeah, they've been they've been putting him a lot in kind of the dunker spot. Yeah. Uh, and and again, I think that might work in the regular season. I question how much that's going to work in the playoffs, especially when you've got a guy in Embiid who who doesn't have a great track record as a three point shooter spacing on the floor. Uh, so, so yeah, it'll be interesting. They certainly uh, ha- have been pretty good with the three of them on the floor thus far, but uh, uh, it'll be it'll be interesting to see moving forward. And and finally, the last thing I had another Minnesota uh, player is Derrick Rose. He's having a, a renaissance of a season, averaging over 18 points per game, shooting 48.7 percent from three. And uh, just for perspective, there, he's a career 30.8 three point shooter. And uh, he also had a uh, a fifty point game against the Utah Jazz, so he has uh, he has really been fantastic for them, and another reason why Minnesota is is playing so well at the moment. Derrick Rose is one of the most fascinating storylines of this entire season, and I, I'm from Chicago, so you can imagine how great the Derrick Rose hype has been. And I think one interesting thing about Derrick Rose is, you know, as he's moved on to New York, Cleveland, and now Minnesota is. You know, it was. I think he was an NBA player last year. I watched. I, I told you I followed LeBron's career pretty closely. I watched every Cleveland Cavaliers game last year, and he legitimately didn't look like an NBA player. I mean, I don't know if it was the injury. There was a controversy of him just sort of taking a mental break in the middle of the season to get married. I mean, that was weird. There's always been sort of some off off the court stuff. Watching him this year, there was a game against LA. Um, it was on ESPN. It was Primetime. He, I don't know if you caught that game, but he took over at the end of the game. He, he, he was knocking down three after three after three, and 
it's been it's been a consistent thing from this guy. I think Derrick Rose is a legitimately useful player in 2018, and I couldn't say that last year. Yeah, his his shot certainly looks a lot better, especially the arc. You know, the last couple of years, and you mentioned uh, his his stop in Cleveland. The shot was just so flat; it just felt like it had no chance to go in. Whereas he he seems to be getting a little bit more lift, and and perhaps after all of the injuries he suffered, he's he's finally getting a little bit closer to the athleticism that he had when he was MVP in 2011. But uh, it certainly has been has been really fun to watch and. And as you stated, it's a story where, yeah, you know, if he continued to play like he did last year, he would have been out of the league pretty soon, sooner rather than later. And uh, the fact that he's not only, uh, you know, an NBA player now, but uh, a very productive player and, and has been one of the best players on Minnesota has has just made me really happy for the guy. Yeah, I have to agree. I mean, I, I'm really happy for him, too. This is a guy that I was I was kind of wondering when, when if ever, he would get back to this and then, you know it's it's not similar to Marco Fultz because Marco Fultz didn't have an MVP season but if Derek Rose keeps it up I, I wouldn't mind you know them, them talking to each other just to get Marco Fultz's mindset right just to, like fix a jump shot even because Derek Rose's jump shots improved incredibly yeah, Markel Fultz is a whole other podcast to talk about. But uh, but uh, did you have any uh, any final takeaways from what you've noticed from the first quarter of the season? I just think it's a, so I think every year there's a few teams that are that are kind of overperforming, and I think that's sort of been the case this year as well, just with the Clippers. And I, I'm just kind of interested to see for the rest of the season how how they fare, how they end up if they can keep it up some of the injury concerns that we discussed in the podcast with you know Memphis Detroit and even Los Angeles is you know how, how, how will continue that's my big that's my big takeaway is will injuries hopefully they don't hopefully injuries don't impact the season but how will they impact the rest of the season because they've already had a pretty big impact with even the team like the Warriors and the Rockets right yeah it's uh it always yeah as, as much as we cross our fingers and hope that uh, most players stay healthy there's always uh, you know, a couple of cases that uh, that really impact teams, and and that's the unfortunate side of uh, of a league that uh, has so many good athletes and it's so high velocity and and physical as well. But uh, Shamir, thanks uh, thanks so much for coming on. This was fun chatting with you. Oh, it was so fun. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of Duncan Dynasty. If you'd like to support the show, you can follow me and the program on Spreaker.com. That's S-P-R-E-A-K-E-R.com. You can also subscribe to the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also leave a rating and review. You can email me at g-bougay, B-U-G-A-Y, at onu.edu. You can uh, give me any questions, comments, concerns, compliments. Be happy to to hear from you, and uh, hopefully I can get back to you as well. You can get a hold of me on Facebook at facebook.com slash Garrett Bougay. Garrett is spelled with uh, two R's and two T's. You can also uh, catch me on Twitter at Garrett Bougay. I plan on airing episodes just about every Wednesday with occasional breaks throughout the uh, the entirety of the 2018-19 season, including the off-season. And uh, if you're if you're starving for more content, I urge you to check out any of my guests' previous material. Uh, a lot of the guys I have on have their own podcasts as well and do a lot of interesting stuff. Thanks again for listening, and have a great day. Leftovers. Or... 
the DMV. Number 97. Or house cleaning. Or Chumba Casino always brings the fun. Play over a hundred different games online for free from anywhere. You could redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. Live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet. But if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox Internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home internet. Cox is the real home internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of Ookla speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com internet for details.